Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you, worship team. Uh, the first song, Ancient of Days, I, uh, that, that was actually a song that my wife and I, one of our first dates, we went to a church one night and they were singing that. So I got married 23 years ago. So that gives you a little idea. Yeah, yeah. So of, um, but I thought uh, you'll see in a moment why we wanted to sing that. And that's a good song to bring back out of the vault every now and then. So, well, today we want to talk about the authority of Christ um, in mission. And the first thing that I would say uh, before beginning anything is that mission is hard. To share our faith in Jesus Christ with another person, whether it's someone in your family, someone on your hall, someone in your neighborhood, someone that lives in Ukraine or Russia or another part of the world, it's hard work. This was very clear to me when I first became a Christian. When I was eight years old, my Dad fulfilled a long 10-year dream of building a house for our family. And it was a big house, two brothers, and we were a little rambunctious. We, we broke lots of things in this house, and we had a big yard, you know, and everything. And but while we were building the house, one of the contractors that was working on it also lived in our neighborhood, and he invited us to church. And my parents kind of politely uh, declined, but I was interested. I was eight years old, and, and I was interested. And the cool thing is, back in the day, uh, they actually had a church bus that went around and picked up kids and people. So I went to, I, I ended up, you know, I, went, I took a school bus to school, okay? And then on Sundays, I would catch the church bus to church. And I went to this church in my neighbor community for a couple of years, then one day, uh, I, was, I was around 10, I was in the winter, fifth grade, and there was a, a, a substitute Sunday school teacher for us. It was a college student, somebody probably about your, some of your age. And I don't know if he wasn't prepared or what, but he, he just said to our class, he goes, I don't really know what you guys are doing in Sunday school, but why don't we just talk today about what it means to know God in a personal way? And so he took the time, the whole Sunday school time, and talked about God loving us and Jesus coming and giving his life for us and rising from the dead and, and, and making us right with God. And, and at the end, he said, if, if some of you want to know more, let's just stay after and we'll talk about this more and pray more. And about four or five of us did. And on that day, about 40 years ago, I believed. And I still believe. Life has brought taken me through some interesting turns and bumps along the way, and it's easy to become cynical, it's easy to become skeptical, to have doubts, but I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he died and rose again, and that he is my only hope uh, for life, and life eternal. But then I went home. Now, I was the, now just, you get the picture, I was the only one going to church, and I was the only one that became a, a believer at the time. Now, 
I don't know where my family was actually on the spiritual journey, but let's just say that when I got home as a 10-year-old new Christian excited to talk about my faith, they weren't as excited. And it was hard. You know, they would say things like, don't be preaching at us, or you think you're better than us. And anytime as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14, 16, 18-year-old, I messed up, I really heard about it. And so that first mission field for me was my own family, and it was hard. And in fact, I would say today, I've lived a number of places in the world, but the hardest mission field that I've ever encountered are my own flesh and blood, my own family. And that's where it starts. But fast forward, I, I went to college at North Carolina State, NC State Wolfpack, yeah, all right. You went there too? All right, good. God bless you. And I was really blessed because my freshman, sophomore year, I was in a Bible study in my res hall and got to know some believers, got really excited about growing in my faith and was part of a new church that had been planted, even got to help to start serving with the youth there. And about my third, fourth year at NC State, I started to meet international students from around the world, a lot of them from the Middle East and North Africa, from places like Syria and Morocco and Egypt. They were all Muslims and they were friends and we spent time together. They'd come over to my apartment, I'd go see them. I'd go to different Muslim festivals with them, eat some really cool food that I had never tried before. And we talked about our faith. In fact, it's really quite easy to talk with Muslims about spiritual things because they want to bring it up. But it was really hard to help a Muslim friend make the step to become a follower in Christ. I felt my limitations so deeply. And then fast forward a little bit more. We, we spent, my, between my single years and married years, we spent about 10 years living in North Africa in two Muslim countries and uh, a few years in France, living mostly working among Muslim immigrants. And there every day we lived in a different culture. Um, driving laws are different. The language is different. Uh, if you wanna have lunch sometime, I'll tell you about some awesome mistakes I've made in French and Arabic, okay? Two of my kids were born in Tunisia and in the, in the delivery room with talking to the doctors, that was all done in Arabic and French. And, and I'm glad I studied because you could really mess that up. And so, but, but it's hard to live in another culture and to communicate in another language. It, it's really physically fatiguing. You need more sleep at night. So why do we do all of this? Why do we do all of this? Well, I wanna share with you a familiar passage of scripture where Jesus just says to us, therefore go, read that with me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Sometimes this passage is called the Great Commission. And so Jesus tells us to go. He doesn't actually tell us how far 
or where, but basically there's some intentionality of going somewhere to some people for a purpose of making disciples, of, of, of helping people become followers and apprentices of Jesus, just like you are. And when people believe, they're baptized, okay? And then we, we teach them, we disciple them, we teach them about the Bible and what Jesus has taught us and how to live the Christian life. And that's, that's a command to every Christian, and it's hard. And so maybe even reading Jesus's words here makes you feel a little bit more stressed or guilty or under the pile or unable or, or you think, oh, this is, no, this is what pastors and this is what missionaries and CIU professors do. They, they talk to people about Jesus. It's, it's hard. Now you'll notice here, if you're, if you're zooming in, there are some words that are blacked out, aren't there? Anybody taking Herm this semester? Uh, let me see, some Crutchfield love here, all right? Probably by this point, you've heard that when we read the Bible, something's very important, and that's a thing called context. Yeah, context is? King. King. Yeah, all right, all right, I like this. I'm gonna start preaching here in a second. And the context for Jesus' words here are very important, too. The first one is that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. And these guys all saw it happen. They ran away, they fled. And so the person speaking to them is the risen Lord who has conquered death. Now it's interesting if, if, we, if we dial back to verse 17, it said they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Still weak, frail people. So if you feel weak and frail, well, join the disciples group here. But in this context, the risen Lord doesn't just give them a mandate and a task to go do something. What's really good and what makes me feel a little bit better about all of this is how these words of Jesus are bookended with some reality and promises. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And you see the command, we black that out for a second, and he ends with, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end uh, of the age. Let's start with the second one first. I am with you always. At Christmas time, we sing a hymn called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, I have to confess that, um, that you know, we, we put our Christmas songs away and we stopped singing Emmanuel. And my confession, you're, you're waiting for me to confess something, um, is that um, we did take down our Christmas decorations, you know, after Christmas, January sometime. And they've been sitting on the floor of the garage and my wife has been lovingly and patiently entreating me to put them up where they're supposed to go. And you know what? I wanted to get to it before the 1st of March, and I did. I had been procrastinating on something for weeks, and it only took me about seven minutes to do the task. Isn't that amazing? But sometimes we, we, we put away the songs, we put away our decorations, and we forget that Jesus is God still with us. 
Now, Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended to the Father, and he tells us in the latter parts of John's gospel that he would send another comforter, he would send the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is still with us. If you are a believer in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you. And the Holy Spirit is is the third person of the Trinity, God, who indwells us and empowers us to obey him, to do what God wants us to do. But the Holy Spirit is also the power uh, to to share our faith, to cross cultures, the power to witness to others. One of the worst things that we can feel in this world is to feel like we're alone. In the years growing up in my house, I felt really alone. I felt really alone. And sometimes even there are some days now when I feel alone. But the good thing is we're not alone, even when we're by ourselves with the presence of of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. God is with us. God is with us. And that's a thing. And that's a truth that uh, that we can bank on today. Related to that is the first part of the promise All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I'll defer to the Greek scholars in the room. I did study Greek, and I was really quite charmed by this discovery that in the original Greek text, it reads more like, given to me is all authority in heaven and on earth. The the real focus of this beginning is not authority and power, but it's that Jesus has the power. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Just as we sing about Jesus is king, Jesus is almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. And you know, when the disciples were hearing Jesus say to me, given to me as all authority in heaven and earth, as good Jews, they would have heard the words of the prophet Daniel, who talked about the ancient of days, and the Son of Man that we were just singing about. And we have this scripture here. And I'll just pick up in this part of the Son of Man, which scholars would say this is dealing with the Messiah that we understand to be our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is our king today. Jesus has, Jesus made us. Jesus made the heavens and the earth. He has the power and the authority, and he is with us. I'm starting to feel a little bit better. And in that presence and power, we can go. And we can make disciples of our friends and family members to the ends of the earth or to the end of your hall or to the other side of your house. God is with us. And this is good news for us today. So when we go, when we, when we go and when we cross barriers, when we participate in God's mission, I think if, if, I could, if I could rewrite this passage in Matthew and maybe put my own translation on it, it's as if Jesus is saying to us, 
I got this. Rest and go, be present, be available. Yeah, learn how to share your faith and your testimony. Maybe study and learn some answers that non-Christians might have about the gospel. Okay, definitely. But he has the power, he has the authority, and we can go in that. Well, I want to draw your attention to a couple of people in history that believe this. So I love to teach mission history. And for those of you that are worried, don't worry, there won't be a U2 reference in this talk. I don't know, I don't want, I, you can't hold me to that. There could be before, we're not done yet. But um, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And someone that read these words of Jesus and believed them was St. Patrick of Ireland. Now, one thing I wanna help you with, if you ever get on Jeopardy, and one of the questions is, where was St. Patrick from? The answer was, yeah, I heard a lot of garble. He was from Roman Britain. So how did he get to Ireland? When he was 16 years old, I heard that. Say it real loud for us. He was taken as a slave. How many of you are between the ages of 16 and 22 today? Raise your hand. Okay, I, I won't raise my hand. I used to be. Those are the years, the six years of Patrick's life that he lost as a slave. He lived in a time when one in four people in the world were enslaved. And so as he's taken to Ireland and put to work, uh, taking care of animals, sheep and pigs and other things, he had a lot of time to think. Now, if we look at Patrick's background, his father was a deacon in the church, his grandfather was a pastor, raised in a Christian family, but at 16 years of age, he did not believe. But he had a lot of time to think and to reflect on the faith that his family brought him up in. And, and over time, he committed his life to Christ. And over time, he learned the Irish language and learned the Irish culture. But at the age of 22, he tells us in his confessions, his biography, that he had a vision to, to flee and to escape slavery. And he did. Boarded a ship, he got back home to Britain. His family was happy to see him. And everything was good, a good happy ending. Except that he tells us in confessions he had another vision. And this time it was the voice of the Irish that said, come back to us and tell us the ways of your God. His Christian family wasn't so happy to hear about that. There's so much that can be done right here. You're going back to the very people that oppressed you, that enslaved you. But he answered this call. He'll go and apprentice for a while as a pastor. The Bishop of Rome is going to lay hands on him and send him out as a, as a missionary bishop to all of Ireland that they literally considered to be the ends of the earth. That was the end of the known world. And he goes. And he ends up spending the last 30 years of his life. Ireland was a crazy, dangerous place. And he walked on foot and he, and he preached. And 
By estimates, there were as many as 100,000 of the Irish that believed because of the witness of Patrick. Some 200 new churches that were started. And guess what? Patrick lived in the 5th century, the 6th century, the 7th century, the 8th century. Guess who took the gospel to the rest of Europe? But the Irish. Because an ex-slave, he believed these words of Jesus. And he wrote in his confessions, he wrote a couple of things. He said, the one and only purpose I had in going back to the people from whom I had earlier escaped was the gospel and the promises of God. In his letter to the soldiers of Caroticus, he said, I was predestined to preach the gospel even to the ends of the earth. And again, Ireland was considered the end of the known world because Patrick believed that believers will come from the whole world. Patrick was reading Matthew 28. In fact, he's one of the earliest in church history to read these words of Jesus and to respond with a, a call to go, a response to go. Because he believed that Jesus had all authority in heaven and on earth, and because he believed Jesus was with them. Let's look at one more. Move to the 18th century, and we meet the English cobbler or shoemaker William Carey who also was reading these same words from Jesus. And he became convinced that, that the words of Jesus to go and make disciples was something that applied to every believer and it applied to every church. In fact, he believed that, re that responding to this commission was the responsibility of every church in every generation. And so he shared his excitement, his enthusiasm with his church leaders. And it's alleged that some of them said, you know, young man, we're excited about your enthusiasm. But if God wants to bring the nations to himself, he's going to do it without your help or mine. To which William Carey uh, responded that we should expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. William Carey believed that God was sovereign that Jesus had all authority, that Jesus had all power, but the means that God wanted to use for lost people to come to him is us. It's his people. God doesn't just skip and go right to people. God uses his people in that. And William Carey believed that. And so in 1792, he helped start the Baptist Missionary Society. And the, same, and the next year, he will sail to India from England where he will spend the last 40 years of his life. And he worked with a team, with, with a couple of other families, and they, they were convinced that what they needed to do was preach the gospel, not just in one city in India, but in the whole of the nation. There are hundreds and hundreds of languages in India that had no scripture. And he and his team worked on three complete Bible translations. Ah... Uh, some blanking on the number, 12 to 15 New Testaments, complete New Testaments, and about another 20 where they translated some books of the Bible. In all, about 36 Indian languages, their team started to get all or some of Scripture into it. Now, William Carey was a, was a shoemaker, but he studied and learned the culture so well that he eventually was appointed professor of what we call Oriental Studies, 
or Eastern studies, Indian studies. And then he ended up starting a university himself, one that still goes to this day. Now, he did some pretty amazing things, but at a great cost. At a great cost. One of the Bible translations they were working on, uh, they had all of their, their work and their data stored in a warehouse that caught fire, and they lost all of their work. Anybody ever lost a paper here that you were working on? I don't actually know how that's possible today. Did, did you, have you lost one? Yes. Yes, okay, all right. <laughs> we know that feeling, right? You have to just kind of go out and yell. And, but imagine a whole translation of a Bible and he didn't even have a flash drive to back it up on or a Dropbox. But he continued. There was some loss in the work, but, but while serving in India, his five-year-old son Peter died. And his wife, Dorothy, developed mental illness. And, and she went insane. And she ended up dying. Great suffering, great cost. Why? Why? Because he believed that Jesus had all authority in heaven and on earth. And that Jesus was with him and with their work. And he went in the power of God and with presence of God. What about us today? These are some pretty wild stories. St. Patrick of Ireland, William Carey. What about us? Do you believe that Jesus is almighty God, maker of heaven and earth? Do you believe that Jesus is present with us now and present in our lives and calling us to step out of our comfort zones, calling us to step out to, to expect great things of him and attempt great things for him, to do some crazy things. I was just in uh, with, with, with some of our students. Uh, we were just in Clarkston, Georgia, working with refugee ministry uh, in, in the, the third week of January. And there's a lady there, just a normal lady in the community that became burdened for the needs of the thousands and thousands of refugees coming into the Atlanta area. Clarkston is a suburb of Atlanta. And she started reading her Bible about true religion is this, that we care for widows and orphans in their distress. And she said, you know, I don't really know any widows or orphans. I don't know any refugees. And she started to take steps of faith, and she's, she's what we call a social entrepreneur. She has started businesses that help to put refugees to work. She was praying that refugees would find jobs, okay? But then she started actually to create businesses, to train refugees. She, she's a, 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 a Christian lady, and um, she started a, a really cool company called the Refuge Coffee Company. It's a series of coffee trucks in Atlanta. She trains people and she sends them out. And we went, she was talking to us about her vision and her work. And she said, I had these ideas. And then I realized that I needed to start to tell people out loud what God was leading me to do. Because they were crazy ideas. They were ideas of faith. And she stepped out. And, and actually, the, the morning miles and group of us, we were... We were talking to her, CBS News, like big CBS News, was there interviewing her about her work. 
with refugees. What is God calling us to do today? I'm going to close with a time of prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are God. You are Almighty God, you are king. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. You've got this, Lord. We praise you for your power in our lives to transform us. We praise you for your power to use us. We thank you for your presence with us. Lord, I pray that you would help us in this room, in your power and with your presence to step out in faith to cross barriers and to make disciples of all peoples and to serve you in the ways you're calling us. And King Jesus, today we know that you are Lord over the situation in Russia and Ukraine. O Prince of Peace, we pray that you would bring peace to this nation. We pray that Russian troops would move out across the border. Lord, we pray you would preserve the lives of the Ukrainian people we pray for revival among the Russian people. We pray for your peace, Lord, and an end to conflict. Lord, you are our Prince of Peace today. Lord, as we go from this time, Lord, uh, go with us. Keep us close to you, Lord, as we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.